0: Hi, it's Michael Benner. Stay tuned for the second to the last Inner Vision program from KPFK, Friday, November 16th, 2007. I'm sure by now you know this program is moving from the broadcast style to broadband, from radio to the internet. A brand new webcast has begun featuring myself and my partner for 30 plus years, Steve Snyder. It's called Finding Yourself in Paradise. I think it's crazy good, the best stuff either of us have ever done. And you can subscribe for just 99 cents a week, billed monthly. Put it on your ATM card or your credit card. Just go to FocusedPassion.com and subscribe right now. The third program has already gone out. FocusedPassion.com. You don't want to miss another one of these programs. Remember, each one contains an audio journey. That's a meditation, guided imagery, or visualization exercise that you can collect and save and archive and share with your friends, too. So, do it right now. Subscribe for just 99 cents a week. Build monthly. Finding Yourself in Paradise. A weekly, one-hour program, the best of human potential, self-realization, and personal development. Go to FocusedPassion.com and enroll. Stay tuned now for the second to the last InterVision program. Good afternoon, a little bit after 1 o'clock, you're listening to 90.7 KPFK Los Angeles out of Santa Barbara County, 98.7 FM, and of course, streaming for the world via that wacky internet at 90, no, what am I saying, at uh, kpfk.org. The internet is a big part of what we're going to talk about today, so. I appreciate you being here and hope you can stick around for a little while. It's InterVision till 2 o'clock this afternoon. A program about health and spirituality, a program about metaphysics and, and mysticism, and uh, really a program about consciousness. And I think that's got to be the, uh, the doorway that we take today. This is going to be a program about consciousness and about our ability to communicate with each other via media. I think it was uh, 40 plus years ago that Marshall McLuhan said the media is the message, the media is the massage, and uh, well, we're going to talk about that because things have certainly changed since uh, Marshall McLuhan. And oh, didn't we love the scene where Woody Allen pulls Marsha McClellan oh, into the movie line? totally. That was wonderful. How
1: you ever got to be a professor of anything is beyond me. <laughs>
0: it's my wife, Doreen Key, who I'm going to introduce also in just a second here. So uh internet neutrality and mass media ownership is our topic today. I'm going to introduce my guest in just a moment. You've already heard Doreen, so we're going to make a couple of brief announcements at the top. and. Then I'll introduce my guest for the day today. As most of you know by now, we're in the final weeks of Friday InterVision, as I've hosted it for uh, nearly 14 years. Um, for many, many years, we were on Thursday nights at 11 o'clock, and the InterVision strip was Monday through Thursday at 11 o'clock in the evening, and then about I don't know, four or five years ago, I think, we moved to the afternoon. It, has it been that long?
1: Uh, maybe even a little more than that.
0: Maybe. And uh, I'm in the middle of the of the day here uh, and sort of blended with Lisa Gara's Aware program. Well, long story short, Doreen and I are moving to Maui in a couple of weeks. So next week, one week from today, will be the last InterVision program that I host. The program will still be here Not sure exactly yet who's going to host the program, but um, we're moving, actually, from broadcast to broadband. It really bears on what we're going to talk about later this hour. Uh, Turns out I don't need my own $80 million radio station if we have access to the Internet, and we do, at least for now. And so we found a way, my partner Steve and I, uh, Steve Snyder, you know, if you're a regular listener of this program, certainly, a way to bring you the program so that you can listen to it on your computer anytime you want, sort of like TiVo for radio. Sometimes it's called a podcast, a webcast, a netcast. We're going to deliver this program to you, and it's going to include a meditation exercise, something we have never been able to do on radio, of course. And so you can find out more about that at FocusedPassion.com. Steve and I set up a special website where you can subscribe And the first two programs have already gone out. So get on board, FocusedPassion.com, for a program called Finding Yourself in Paradise. Paradise meaning the altered state that comes about when you relax and focus your attention. Be it a meditation, self-hypnosis, accelerated learning, you know, sports psychology, yoga, martial arts. What are these people doing when they close their eyes and why would they do such a thing in all these different areas? Well, you'll find out. I know most people listening to me right now know exactly what I'm talking about. So check that out as InterVision moves from broadcast to broadband from radio to the Internet, focusedpassion.com. Now, there's even more good news in that while we're going to let go of InterVision on KPFK, we're going to do a new radio program. And uh, I've decided... To bring, boy, there's a lot of potential for jokes here. But I to resist.
1: <laughs> Take my wife, please.
0: Yes, to bring my wife in on it on, on this program. Well,
1: after 20 years of working together and me producing your shows, this is exciting. This is the first time that we've ever done a radio show together. So
0: you can stop twisting my arm now.
1: Oh, sorry about that.
0: Oh, okay. I'm,
1: I'm Lucy. I want to play glowworm at the Tropicana. There you go.
0: <laughs> well, during of course uh, has worked with me in fundraising for several years now. We do that three times a year. She's been great. Uh, people don't like to disappoint Doreen, so I thought it was a good idea to bring her in on the show. That's what we do at home, is we sit at home and we talk politics. And So that's what we're going to do. It's going to be the Michael Benner Show with Doreen Key, and it will follow this program effective two weeks from today. November
1: 30th at 2 p.m. And it's, this show is going to be hot because it's going to be all current events stuff. And, um, you know, we get to talk about impeachment and a lot of the really fun stuff. I know you're going to have your esoteric philosophy show, uh, that people can get on their, you know, as a podcast, com. And by the way, last week's meditation was stellar. Okay. I mean, I love it that you're getting to do meditations and that people can download these things and then send them to their friends. Save
0: and, them, archive them.
1: Oh, yeah, it's just an amazing show. And you and Steve are always, um, Makes you Makes know, sense.
0: I mean, if you're going to talk about it, but not able to do it, here's a way we can do it. Yeah. But this program that you and I are going to do
1: I'm so excited about this. It's yeah. gonna be because you know me, I'm like so about march into Rummy's house and things like that, and there are so many things going on in this world right now that need to be addressed and that need to have light uh shine on it and it's um I'm just so excited that we still get to be on our favorite radio station k p f k
0: well, I think one of the things that you and I have talked about that is gonna make the show. Really different is that it 's positive it 's upbeat it 's solution oriented and it 's about empowering individuals, in other words, not unlike Inner Vision, I know you and I share an interest in politics and government and the need for social economic political institutional reform, but under that, there has to be personal reform right. there has to be personal empowerment right. people need to get up off their butts um, Push away from the Internet, turn off the television, maybe even the radio from time to time, and go out and do something.
1: Like mm-hmm. if the show was happening today, we would definitely be, be talking about the incredible, incredible march in Washington today.
0: Right. The hate crime.
1: Oh, the, the peace and justice. And, and, and it's so much bigger than anybody had expected.
0: And except and for CNN, it's not on the media today I, at all.
1: Exactly. And well, you'll hear about it on KPFK. I'll guarantee you I'll that. Betcha. So all it's right. It's all exciting, and we'll let you get to your guests. But I hope everyone will tune in uh, for our first show at 2 p.m. on November 30th. And, um, you know, like I said, it's going to be a hot show. We'll do everything we can to bring you the kind of news that you expect from this great radio station powered by the people, KPFK.
0: Now, I, I probably should add for those who are real good listeners, hey, you're going to Maui. How are you going to stay on KPFK? And let's just say through the magic of media we're going to do
1: that. There we go. I
0: mean, who really knows what an ISD online stands for anyway? I, <laughs> I've forgotten. Uh, but there's all kinds of magical ways we can do this. So, yeah, we're going to be in Hawaii, but we're also going to be here Fridays at 2. Yes. Effective two weeks from
1: today. Yep, yep.
0: Okay, thanks, girlfriend. Thank you. See things. you
1: all on November thirtieth. I can't wait. I'll come up with some really hot stories. I
0: am afraid you'll do exactly what your promise is.
1: That's I, you promised. That's, that's it. Okay, Thank can't you. wait for the show.
0: It's a perfect time to be talking about net neutrality and the consolidation or conglomeration of uh, media ownership. And it's a pleasure to introduce Russell Newman. Russell is um, a grad student and. Uh, instructor at USC, University of Southern California. He's also uh, an MIT graduate. That's back east for those of you who've never been east of the Mississippi. That's a wonderful school, MIT. Did you do your undergrad and master's
2: work there? I did merely my undergrad there. But uh, in in between that time, uh, shortly before coming out to L.A., I was a research and campaign director as well for a national nonprofit organization called Free Press.
0: Yes, I'm glad you threw that in there. So those are high credentials, and and, uh, we're happy to have you here. Now, you're working on your Ph.D. in this area of uh, media, communications, uh, we were discussing in the hall your interest is less in communication as a social science and more in the how would you describe it the practical um... well
2: that's indeed more the political economy more oh, the okay. implications for democracy of various oh. uh, of how you go about i uh, don't want to say necessarily regulating but how you how you envision a media system to maximize let's uh, start there it to be
0: oh let's start with for me it in school, it pretty much started with the Communication Act of 1934. I mean, there was radio before that, but nobody really knew what to do with it. I think there were some fights and some news, and then somebody said, Wait a minute, newspapers sell space, we can sell time. What an idea. And, but Russ, even at the very beginning, wasn't there an understanding that the electromagnetic spectrum is the public's airways, not even the federal
2: so much. That's sort of code word, but these are our airways, are they not? That's absolutely right, and that's been a core tenet of communications policy in the United States since the beginning. I mean, you can, one can look at the history of how the Communications Act originally came together, and one could say, before it came together, there was remarkable diversity and, and remarkable experimentation with the use of, of the public airwaves. Uh, and a lot of the experimentation was uh, extinguished in the process of coming up with that bill, uh, with the Communications Act. But since then, that notion that these airwaves are ours, that's given the FCC license to, to maintain them in that regard, and that means you have a right to demand the be used uh, in your interest and not necessarily interests of uh, those who are most powerful and the most present on them right now.
0: I seem to remember the phrase from the Communication Act was uh, the public, I think they borrowed it from utilities, the public interest, convenience, and necessity. Absolutely. Now, I'm not sure what all that means, but public, I understand that part, public interest. So these are our airways. What in the world happened? To allow Rupert Murdoch to decide this is a profit-making vehicle, and the hell with you all, and and the hell with public interest, and it's just, not just Rupert Murdoch, but he's just. You know, along the way, there's been this gradual erosion, hasn't there?
2: Well, it's absolutely true, and it's continuing today. I mean, one of the most recent, uh, one of the most recent bouts of this, 2003, when the FCC last attempted to loosen media ownership rules. I mean, this has been a process that's been ongoing for decades. Uh, you can. These look guys at, are
0: patient, if they're nothing else. Yeah, you
2: know, patient, <laughs> and they're also extremely. They've the National Association of Broadcasters, in particular, probably one of the most effective lobbying units in D.C. They're yeah. extremely powerful for a number of really obvious reasons. You know, first of all. They're incredibly wealthy. They have access to a lot of resources. You know, broadcasting is one of the most profitable businesses out there when you're in it for profit. Uh, second of all, you know, if you're a legislator, you depend on the media to get your message out. We're at a campaign time. The last thing you want is your local radio station or your local newspaper or whatnot to be reporting negatively about you. So, I mean, you find the actual instances in the late 90s, uh, FCC commissioners like Gloria Tristani, who really uh, went toe-to-toe with some of the more powerful players. She decided to run for Congress after leaving the FCC. And as a result of several decisions she made, there's several, you can find documentation of this, of her being literally threatened by local broadcasters where she ran. And indeed, they made good on those threats, and she was not elected to Congress. So for these reasons, when the NAB approaches a congressperson and says, jump, there's a lot of reasons they jump. And it's uh, it makes it very difficult for uh, you or my voice to actually carry sway with these legislators. But something that changed in 2003 was the fact that our voices actually started to carry some sway. There was actually a huge public outcry against the latest instance of the FCC saying you as a commercial broadcaster can own not just the local newspaper, monopoly newspaper at that, the cable company, you know, eight uh, radio stations as well as three perhaps television stations in your area, there was outrage. In the June of 2003, uh, hundreds of thousands of comments went into the FCC. Eventually, millions of comments made it to the FCC, nearly unanimously saying, please don't do this. We've already felt the effects. 1996 was when we deregulated radio, or essentially we allowed, that's what enabled Clear Channel to go from a couple tens of stations to over a thousand stations and people felt exactly that effect
0: i saw this happening in the eighties of course uh Mm -hmm. you're going back to even pre uh 1934 but certainly there was a major change in thinking in this country when the mood of the reagan era deregulate this deregulate that and in some cases i'm sure was appropriate or, or worthy of debate but somehow broadcasters got caught in that great net and suddenly, we were overregulated, and
2: we needed the free market to come in. <laughs> what? Consolidate media? No, oh, and I think the classic quote was, uh, what was it, Mark Fowler, who said, a TV is nothing but a toaster with pictures, uh, right? And you and I know, anybody involved in media, anybody who's done community media, anybody who watches media, you know, they're very well aware that media carries a lot more power than a toaster, necessarily, with hmm. pictures. Uh, so I think what's, what's a funny aspect is that the argument that's made to deregulate is that look at all this competition, especially today with the emergence of the Internet, with the emergence of cable, with uh, satellite programming where you seemingly have access to, you know, hundreds of stations at once. The argument being that this market is incredibly competitive, when, in fact, you know, you look at who owns most of those cable channels, it's all the same six giants that own the, the uh, over-the-air broadcast giants. You know, same with satellite and such. And, you know, the next time someone tries to tell you there's a free market in broadcasting, tell them, all right, you know, let's find a clear channel affiliate. I want you to set up a transmitter and, you know, you know the public square and you go ahead and broadcast on that station and we'll see who wins in this market. And it turns out, you will know, get arrested rather quickly and taken huh. right off the air. There's no free market in broadcasting.
0: There, there's a fr- famous story, I think it was out of... Uh Bismarck or Fargo, North Dakota, of a train derailment and Mm -hmm. hazardous material spill. Do you know the story?
2: No, indeed. Uh, I believe it was Minot, uh, North Dakota, in fact. A train carrying toxic chemicals (laughs) traveling through town, uh, ends up having a big spill, cloud of toxic gas emerges over the town. Folks tried calling their radio stations to, uh, yeah, folks tried calling the radio stations to let them know what was going on? Well, unfortunately, the stations that were on air were all owned by an owner who was distant, who was not local.
0: I think it was Clear Channel.
2: And I believe it was Clear Channel. So there
0: six radio stations in the city, but all owned by the same group.
2: And all run on autopilot. You know, if you visit the radio station, you'd see nothing but perhaps a janitor cleaning up, but otherwise you know, a computer playing what it needed to play overnight to keep things occupied till the next morning. And it worked
0: both ways because law enforcement wanted to evacuate areas of the town. Exactly. And they
2: couldn't find any real bodies in this radio station. I mean, this is one of the most egregious examples you come across. It was one of those examples that galvanized uh, public opposition to the further consolidation of uh, media, owner, of uh media entities and such.
0: In fact, in New Orleans, after Katrina, I understand it was a low power, non-commercial FM that really
2: saved the day for a lot of folks. That's absolutely right. And if you want to start bringing telecom into it, it's mostly, it wasn't even uh, as much as we, as much as the large telecom giants like your AT&T's and your Bell South say, you know, you can't, you can't touch us you know we're we're secure here well those networks went down as well and it was community networks and wireless networks and folks volunteers traveling south from uh, urbana champaign in illinois and elsewhere setting up impromptu wireless uh, internet networks to to reestablish connections where there were none
0: i have to mention personally i intended to be a radio journalist for my entire life when i left college that's what i was prepared to do and uh in the late 80s, the second term of the Reagan administration, the, um, well, I'm trying to find the right word, the, um, hemorrhaging. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> the hemorrhaging of the broadcast news industry meant that many of us were losing our jobs and, and we could see the handwriting on the wall. Uh, that indeed, 1987, is when I left commercial broadcasting as mm-hmm. a full-time profession. I never went back. I've been here as a volunteer, thank God, for 14 years, as you heard me say before. But I interviewed Ralph Nader shortly after that, early 90s, I think, 91 or 92. And I asked him if he or his group, Perjum or some other group, had looked into that. He said, oh, yeah. He said, you want the numbers? I said, yeah. He said, 90% of radio news men and women lost their jobs permanently. 90% of radio news jobs were permanently eliminated and that was in the late
2: 80s now they've never come back no and indeed if you want to look at what's even happened over the course of the last decade you want to talk about as as owners get more and more distant from the actual networks they own you know if you allow a newspaper company to buy up a tv station now these there are combinations like that which exist in the United States, the FCC granted waivers to certain organizations to do this, to certain corporations to do this with the full expectation that they were going to be changing the rules anyway in 2003. So we might as well just get the ball rolling. Right mm-hmm. now, what happens when you start seeing you know, uh, newspapers uh, intimately connected to TV stations that do news as well as well? The impetus is to start getting rid of staff. It is to consolidate operations, have your newspaper reporters start uh, appropriating content for TV and for the website and such. So you get more time spent appropriating and less time actually reporting. You start seeing the decimation of foreign bureaus. I mean, ir- reporting from Iraq is a joke yes, at the moment. <laughs> you know, what? You're, you're, people are reporting from a hotel.
0: I'm seeing that same video bite of the guy shooting over the wall for six years. I've exactly. seen him shoot over the wall. <laughs> yeah.
2: And it, it turns out a lot of your major networks barely have anybody no. overseas these days in comparison to what uh, once was when news was considered well, a lost leader of pride. State Department doesn't want to send
0: anybody over there either. I mean, Absolutely. they don't want to go. I don't want to go. I wouldn't go. But, I mean, imagine if uh, there are any of these uh, old reporters left from World War II in Korea. These guys were in the trenches. Mm-hmm. These guys reading mud and writing real news stories and, and doing it in what they thought was the public interest. They weren't concerned with... You know, who was buying the space in their newspaper or, 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 I mean, the, the, it was understood, especially in television, that the news operation was not going to make money. Mm-hmm. And if it did, you were doing something wrong. This is your public service. After all, these are the public airwaves. So we're talking about nearly a hundred years
2: mm-hmm.
0: of corporations trying to steal and, and pretty much successfully now, except for a few exceptions, like this group, Pacifica and KPFK, pretty much dominating
2: the media. That's exactly right. They've done it. That's right. I mean, for the longest time, for decades, you know, policy about media, which directly affects the information that you receive, you know, information that... Is valuable in a democracy. Essential, in, media, in, a dem- essential yeah. in a democracy. Uh, policies that relate to how much of that information you're going to get, your access to it, who's going to be bringing it to you, has been made completely in your name but without your consent behind closed doors in DC. And it's in the past few years where groups like Free Press, like Consumers Union, uh, Common Cause have all finally made some inroads uh, by, and it's strictly it's been grown completely from the grassroots. I mean, this is this is an issue that didn't start this decade. Folks have been screaming about this since the late 60s. But we're at a point right now where, what, there's an unpopular war. Folks are really questioning the journalism they're receiving, and they're angry about it. And they're finally pegging it exactly to the root cause, which is uh, not reporters, not bad reporters. It's about bad structures within which reporters are being commanded to operate.
0: This is the fourth estate. I mean, it's the fourth branch of government. So if the attempt is to... As Karl Rose has said publicly, just create a permanent Republican majority. It, mm-hmm. This is a corporate takeover. This isn't the old-fashioned. Rep- these are not your Eisenhower Republicans. No. Uh, to, to dominate the three branches of government and, oh, yeah, the media as well. That's integral, isn't it, that fourth estate so-called?
2: That's well, absolutely true. And a large step. Uh, it was even just taken this week in, in that direction that folks should be outraged about. Uh, in 2003, we managed, to, through a number of court cases, to roll back the loosened FCC rules of 2003. I mean, despite massive amounts of public outcry. Despite hundreds of thousands of comments thrown to the FCC saying, please don't loosen media ownership rules. further It went through anyway. Through Republicans versus the two Democrats, it went through. Immediately, a number of lawsuits went, went forth. And, in fact, the courts uh, turned those rules back to the FCC saying, try again. Not so much on the grounds that the rules themselves were bad they were remanded on the grounds that your justification for these rules was lousy so you can come up with the same rules again you can say newspapers can own a television station in a major market but you got to justify it better than you did mm-hmm. right so chairman martin uh, you know following these proceedings uh, as sort of a uh, ready fire aim strategy, as as, uh, Commissioner Copps put it. You know what, you loosen the rules, and then they launched a localism proceeding to see if media was actually serving local needs, and they promised a number of public hearings around the country. Well, uh, after Michael Powell, who was chairman of FTC, went away, and now we have Kevin Martin, there seemed to be little progress on this front, but all of a sudden, toward the end of this year, you're seeing a number of those public hearings happening in short order. And in fact... In the last month, there was a hearing in Washington, D.C. There was a hearing in Seattle, both of which were announced less than, you know, uh, uh, seven working days ahead of when those meetings were going to be held. I mean, we're talking meetings held in the middle of the day. People are going to have to take time off of work. It displayed a remarkable lack of interest in real public input into uh, how we should proceed as far as, you know, do we let newspapers start buying up TV stations in towns across America? Well, no sooner did a 1,000 people nonetheless show up in Seattle to tell the FCC, first, that local media are not serving local needs and that it's directly because media is consolidating to such an extent across the United States. Less than three working days later, Chairman Martin issues a rule that says we're going to allow folks who own huge newspapers like the L.A. Times, like Boston Globe, like New York Times to commence buying a TV station or a radio station in the top 20 markets. And that's how it's going to be a real moderate change. Well, the fact of the matter is the top 20 markets in the United States affects, you know, nearly 50 percent of the people in the United States. That's where people live. And then they left a loophole that was big enough to drive a truck through, saying that in some of the smaller markets, if the newspapers kind of promised, you know, we're going to bump up news operations if you if you let us buy up a TV station here, he said, well, then we'll grant you a waiver. And unfortunately, the track record of the FCC over the course of the last two decades is, you know, anybody who asks for a waiver is going to get one. So the positive development about this is that folks are already reacting. Now, there's a bill that has been introduced in Congress, the Media Ownership Act of 2007, which was, uh, which was sponsored by uh, Senators Dorgan and Lott. A Republican and a Democrat, both getting behind this bill, saying this is absolutely unacceptable. And that it, if this bill were to pass, it would force the FCC to start up a whole new proceeding to talk about localism in light of ownership rules. It would set up a task force to to uh, address uh, what is a what is a sorry lack of of women and uh, people of color, uh, both behind and in front of cameras and microphones. Mm-hmm. And it would also uh, command that after this proceeding was done, the public would have 90 days to comment. As Martin has it now this new rule will come into effect and we have all of 19 working days to comment on it.
0: Even the rules on uh, uh, television and radio um, getting their licenses renewed have been changed. Wasn't it? Didn't it used to
2: be every three years and now it's And then it kept on getting longer and longer and longer. And And (laughs) has anybody
0: (laughs) ever lost their license in the history of American media?
2: Uh, There's an example that Civil Rights Group points to uh, in the past. One station did that was uh, It was a station in the South that was maligning people of color horribly, but the FCC wasn't the one who took it back. It was a court case that that resulted in that license being taken away. And today, every eight years, indeed, you have to renew your license, but there's a reason they call it a postcard renewal. You just send it in, and they send it back stamped. And you can try challenging it, but no one's ever lost.
0: used to be a big deal. I did a lot of public affairs programming. Mm -hmm. back in the day and we'd have to fill out reports every week demonstrating that our programming was in the public interest but that of course had to pay me to do that that costs money you see to prove you're in compliance so that's the regulation they hate but now we're fighting the regulation they love (laughs) Russ Newman is my guest he's a uh, uh, instructor at uh, University of Southern California here in town and uh, a uh, a grad student also working on his PhD in mass communication. Now, Russ, um, this goes beyond television, radio, and newspapers to the internet as well. Crucially. Let's, yeah, that is the word, isn't it? Let's talk about, because I don't think this, this is, is as well known as what we've been discussing. This
2: yeah, evening. I mean, the, the ownership fight has gotten a bit of traction, but something that's still flying a little bit under the radar.
0: I don't think, first of all, most Americans know that the best
2: internet is in Asia. That's right. That's absolutely right. Uh, If you want a fast Internet connection for low cost, you don't come to the United States for it. Um, There's a number of things that are going on right now in the broadband world. Net neutrality, this thing that we keep mentioning, is, is definitely one of the biggest. But when we talk about telecom legislation, it's not that different from talking about media ownership in the traditional world. You're deciding three things. I mean, first you're deciding, you know, are the broadest sources of information going to be available to me? Second, who's going to have access to this information? And then third, what can I do over emerging networks of communication? And network neutrality bears on all three of these things. I mean, when you and I log on to the Internet today, we take a lot of things for granted. We take for granted that if we want to look at KPFK's website and download a stream, uh, that it will just be there for us if we would like it to be. And perhaps we've paid for a dial-up connection. Perhaps we've paid for a, uh, a broadband connection of some sort. But it's guaranteed that if we want to access it, we can. We also take for granted that if we want to create something, like the folks did who created Google, if we want to create a website or create a new uh, piece of software that does something neat, that we'll be able to pass it on to somebody else or share our own content that we've created via something like YouTube. Uh, well, the the major telecom providers, your your Verizons, and then your cable providers as well, your Comcasts. Uh, Well, they're they're seeing to it that they would like to tier the Internet, so to speak. And what that means is if you're uh, Verizon and you happen to have a deal with CNN, for instance, you you have a backroom handshake deal that says if CNN puts up a video someplace, that it'll happen if I request it, it'll get to me about five seconds faster than a comparative video that KPFK produced, merely because KPFK doesn't have a handshake deal going with Verizon. And this isn't conspiracy theory. This is stuff that the CEOs of AT&T and Verizon have said outright. They're sitting here saying, oh, Google and YouTube are all riding on our pipes for free, which is completely uh, fallacious because both Google and you and I pay a certain amount of money to gain access to those networks. We've already paid, and now AT&T and Verizon want to double dip.
0: They, are, they can call them their pipes. Yeah. Telephone lines.
2: Yes, they, they technically can these days. But, but th- there is a
0: uh a uh, public interest here, too. Common carrier, that's the term I'm
2: looking for, aren't they? Common carriers? And that's exactly what's in the process of changing right now. Uh, as In the olden days, well, you see, with the Communications Act, the way if you were regulated if you were a telephone wire is different than you were regulated if you were a cable wire. If you're a telephone wire, you know, if I pick up the phone and I call you and I say hello, the word hello reaches you without being changed at all. Right Now, uh, in the cable world, that doesn't necessarily apply. Uh, They never really were required to just carry content unadulterated all the way through the system, right? But they never really had reason. They were just bringing you TV programming. They never had reason to actually change anything. Well, earlier part of this decade, FCC says cable, you know, from now on, you know, anybody who asks you to actually carry stuff, come and carry. We recognize that you cable and you telecom companies are starting to do exactly the same thing. But cable, you're an information service. You know, you get to you get to decide what bits go through your pipes and what don't. But you, as a telephone company, you still have to pass everything non-discriminatorily. Well, uh, a number of ISPs out here in California, in fact, took uh, the FCC to court uh, because they were they were saying, well, we can we seem to be able to gain access through these telephone pipes. We'd like to gain access through these... cable pipes as well you know if you have a cable connection you only have access to comcast as a provider but you know there's no reason these two pipes act exactly the same and it culminated in a court case called brand x went all the way to the supreme court supreme court sided with the cable company so the cable companies now officially had permission to discriminate Uh, to monkey with information passing through their pipes.
0: And create this tiered price structure.
2: And so the phone companies go to the FCC saying, we want what cable got, (laughs) right? And so the FCC, instead of leveling the playing field, so to speak, by saying, oh, well, this makes sense. Cable, you should act like a telecom company. Instead, they said, oh, well, telecom companies, you can act like a cable company now. So in effect, for a number of years, you've actually existed in a world that does not have net neutrality. Uh, for, for all we know, it's been perfectly legal for Verizon to actually, if I were to say hello through the pipe, for it to come out goodbye on your end. That's effectively what's going on. In fact, we've caught Comcast red-handed now in the course of the last month, uh, someone who's been trying to use BitTorrent to share something like, I don't know, a Bible, not even necessarily uh, some pirated piece of uh, information stolen from a CBS show or anything. We're talking, you know, people use BitTorrent for a whole number of reasons, right? Public access stations are using BitTorrent today to share programming with each other. Well, it turns out that Comcast, if you're using BitTorrent, manages to slow down any stream that you establish with BitTorrent. Torrent. They purposely have picked out BitTorrent traffic and said we're going to slow you down to nothing, and we're going to call it network management. They were caught red-handed doing so by the Associated Press, and it's raising quite a furor now. But that's what things are coming down to.
0: But if we wrote a bigger check, they'd speed it up again.
2: Yeah, perhaps if all of us, perhaps if those of us who are using BitTorrent happen to have a million bucks, we could pay to Comcast. They would allow that content to go through. Why
0: other. does this not surprise me? I mean, here we have a government. And again, you've stated this has gone on for many decades now, but it seems particularly obscene right now that we have a government that dares to talk about promoting democracy overseas while they dismantle it on all fronts at home. Russ Newman, our guest, he'll be with us till 2. We'll open up the telephones here after a short break. If you have questions for Russ, give us a call. We're talking about net neutrality and also media monopoly at InterVision KPFK. Give us a buzz, 818-985-5735, 985-KPFK in the 818 area code, and we'll be right back with your calls after this short break. I'm Michael Benner. This is KPFK. KPFK and your very own radio at 90.7 all over Southern California's FM dial. Out of Santa Barbara County, 98.7 FM and streaming, at least for now. <laughs> <laughs> at kpfk.org. I'm sure we'll always have access to the Internet, but we're talking about quality and quantity here, aren't we? We're talking about this idea that somehow the free market can regulate. Um, And if there is sufficient competition, there are many models where supply and demand, we all went to school, we understand that. But even today, you can open up a newspaper, a news magazine, television news program and with uh, six cartels in the world controlling our oil, they talk about market regulating, and, well, the price went up in response. I mean, it's hogwash. It's six fat old white guys sitting around a table, and they have a tacit understanding, even if they don't blackberry each other. They know what they're doing. I mean, it's just a, a joke. And now I understand why they wanted to dumb down education. Now it makes sense why... In the Reagan era, the first thing they did, well, at least after closing all the mental institutions, mm-hmm. was uh, shutting down money for education. Is that a concern that you have as a as a person with advanced degrees? Are you concerned about the level of education and therefore the demand or lack of it in in,
2: in media for media? Well, I think there's a there's a real need for uh, those in education to get. Uh, you know, children who are coming through the pipeline to look at media a lot more critically. I think mean, there's a really big role out there for uh, what you call media literacy efforts. And it goes beyond just, you know, interpreting TV shows. It's about talking to folks about really how is our media created? What are the structures behind it? When we talk about there being, you know, this, this free market for media, you know, folks forget that free markets involve perfect information. In other words, you know if Comcast, you, you have a choice between Comcast and Verizon, and you choose Verizon because you don't like the fact that Comcast slows down your BitTorrent streams. Uh, and it also implies that anyone can get into it when they want to. You know, a free market in telecom would mean that you and I could go out and just say to our neighbors, I'm going to start selling you telephone service right now. The barrier to entry is ridiculous, you know, and in fact, you know, the re- most recent FCC data show that all these competitors that, uh, that folks like Kevin Martin point to when he uh, provides excuses to further, uh, let the biggest players do whatever they want to. You know, the, the competition he points to, such as broadband over power line, you know, it's fizzling. You know, we're really coming down to a duopoly in most every town in the United States, the cable company and the telephone company. You know, wireless, wireless broadband access via your cell phone. It's no substitute for actually having a wired connection. And if you want to look at a, what a world looks like without net neutrality going into the future, if we don't write net neutrality back into law, you know, right now we're in the wild, wild west at the moment. We yeah. don't have it. Yeah. If we don't write it back into law, Look at how your online services work via your your cell phone, for instance. That's your future. You know, Verizon controls exactly every application you can run on that phone. They control what phones you can even use on the network. You can't take a Sprint phone and use it on your Verizon network. You can't at all. That's what the future of that neutrality is going to be like.
0: What's going on in South Korea and Japan that they get internet ten times or more faster, better quality, better service for much less money?
2: Well, other countries are doing a number of things that uh, that the United States. They look at the United States and think we're really quite crazy. First of all, countries that are far ahead of us in terms of deployment, that folks having access. First of all, have very strong uh, network neutrality regimes. It's obvious to them that you need to have this. You need to be able to depend on information passing unadulterated through those wires and such and to have a lot of choice when it comes to who's providing you internet service in fact the eu at the moment is in the process of going in an exact opposite direction they were inspired by our 1996 act in a number of ways in a way that we're backing off of right now but they're effectively carving the whole system up it's a system called structural separation it takes net neutrality to a whole new level where they're saying if you own the telephone wire you can't own content that goes through it either you're just going to pass along those bits and in fact if you're if you own the wire and you own a wireless system your accounting departments have to be separate they're carving it down into the smallest possible units and saying we're going to have competition at each single level here and uh, that those kinds of regimes are really good at getting prices down speeds up and more people connected
0: just occurred to me that the head of the uh He may have resigned by now, but Ted Stevens, this old crook from Alaska that uh, is best known for the Bridge to Nowhere.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Bridge to Nowhere. What an irony that he was the head of the committee on the Internet. I guess he wants to build another bridge to nowhere, right?
2: <laughs> A toll uh, one at that.
0: Yes, I, it just now <laughs> occurred to me, that irony. Let's, t- <laughs> let's take uh, and varying tolls depending on... And the money doesn't even go to you. That's, there you go. <laughs> we'll have to develop this allegory here a little bit. Let's go to Hollywood. Ed, you're on KPFK. It's InterVision with Michael Benner. My guest is Russ Newman. Hi, Ed.
3: Hi, Michael. And I, I bid you a, a great farewell, and I'll be eager to tune into your new radio station two weeks from now. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, my question to you, Russ, is what do you see What do you see happening? I'm not asking you to be a psychic, but, you know, with the FCC now, do you see a further manipulation, monopolization, uh, monopolization, or do (laughs) you see, sorry about that, I'm dyslexic,
0: um, but... um, Ed Magdickian has the same problem, or no, (laughs) what is his name? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Ben (laughs)
0: Magdickian.
3: Do you see a further consolidation, uh, or do you see the FCC actually listening to the public this time?
2: Well, the funny thing is, uh, at this particular moment, I mean, there's a reason Martin is trying to rush this stuff through, right? He's aiming to have a meeting at the FCC in late December so that this can be all tied up with a bow and done before the election season really gets underway next year. I mean, both Republicans and Democrats alike outside the FCC have rebelled against notions of trying to consolidate further and uh, this is this is all political maneuvering so it doesn't hurt the Republicans next year in the general election because this is not a partisan issue, you know? This is not something that only Democrats care about. You go out into the rest of the country And as I traveled around the country speaking with community groups, you know, everyone cared, not just the left. So uh, we're at a remarkable moment where if if you were asking me this about 10 years ago, I would say, absolutely, there's nothing that's going to be done. The FCC is going to go through with this and we're going to see a new massive round of consolidation. We're at a really funny moment where. Already, within a day of uh, Martin going through with this, we have a bill already starting to work its way through the Senate that is sponsored by members of both parties, the Media Ownership Act of 2007, that everyone should be calling their senators about right now and saying, please support this bill, um, that effectively would turn this ruling around and start up a whole new proceeding. That Say would, that again, yeah. to Russ, the Media Act. The Media Ownership Act of 2007. Okay. It's uh, S-2332. I believe is the number. Uh, so there's a bill that's already out there. You already have a public who is ready and outraged about this. You have a public that's enraged about the kind of journalism that they're getting. I mean, this is a perfect confluence of factors where we could very well see a turnaround of these rules in a similar way as we saw it after the FCC tried this in 2003. So I'm actually vaguely optimistic about how things are going right now. We have enough inroads and we're at a remarkable enough moment that uh, this very well could be... Uh, <laughs> sort of the, the 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 last wheezing gasp of the efforts to try and uh loosen ownership rules for a little while at least until after the election next year.
3: Was so this new bill against consolidation or for I wasn't quite sure.
2: It is against. Okay. They would it would force the FCC to start up a whole new proceeding.
3: So then, I must call my senator immediately.
2: You must. Thank that you is true.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you both.
0: Thank you. So the goal here is to di- di- diversify for obvious reasons.
2: Yes, it wouldn't turn. It wouldn't turn. It would not cause divestiture necessarily. It's simply going to start up a new proceeding to examine localism in light of new potential media ownership rules. It would start to address the issue of uh, women and other people of color and other uh, other ethnic groups not finding themselves either in front of or behind microphones and cameras, and it would. Uh, Uh, it would set up a reasonable comment period for folks after this proceeding was done to actually make sure that their voices are heard in the end. You know, results are put out there. You get 90 days to actually say something about it, and that's a lot more reasonable than the 19 or so that Martin has given us this time around.
0: You know, uh, part of what's so strange about this, from my point of view, is that as a result of consolidation, a lot of money has been made, Mm -hmm. which furthered the centralization in media, But they've destroyed the medium. The radio listenership is off by 25%. Um, Fewer people are watching television. Maybe this is a good thing, actually. But um, we've already talked about the number of jobs that have been lost. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't even have time today to get into the impact on the music industry. Mm -hmm. And we said years ago, you guys are going to destroy, when they started bringing in the consultants... That couldn't even tap their toes, and they're making media decisions, you know, important programming and music decisions, news and information. I always remember this ABC vice president, Now, I know they had a lot of vice presidents, <laughs> but he was the general manager of the station. And he pulled me in one day and said, Why do you, during the Reagan era, he said, Why do you call, uh, the United Nicaraguan opposition the guys Reagan and Ali North were back in. Why do you call them Somacistas? What's a Somacista? And I explained it to him. These are the remnants of Somoza's National Guard. And here is the congressional report that shows 12 of their 13 top commanders worked for Somoza, the dictator, backed by the United States. That's an important story. It's mm-hmm. more accurate than calling them UNO or the Contras, right? He said, I don't want it on the air. Mm-hmm. I said, Bill, don't you want the highest quality of truth that I can possibly tell without being opinionated or biased? He said, no, I want you to sound like everybody else.
2: It's remarkable. I mean, these are predictable results as well. I want you to sound like everybody else.
0: I mean, how do you get to the top that way? And then I realized they don't want to get to the top. It's not the media that's interested in ratings to make money. They're interested in growing the business to buy more stations and yet they're cannibalizing themselves. When do they admit they they failed? In a sense, they've they can't
2: sell the stations they bought for what they paid for them. Well, what's even funnier is uh, research that the FCC has done themselves. I mean, freedom of, freedom of Information Act requests for the actual research that the FCC has done. For this latest round of proceedings, there were 10 studies that were done that were never peer-reviewed, never received public comment, and started from the very uh, foundation. It, it's written right into the document, you know, basically assuming we're going to consolidate, assuming we're going to loosen the rule, now I'm going to commence my analysis. Other analyses that were performed in 2003 that didn't quite go along the party line were just buried. Studies that were worked on within the within the uh, the commission itself that came out with results that said, uh, you know, if you consolidate, if you allow a newspaper to own, you know, places where newspaper uh, newspaper owners happen to own TV stations, you get less news. These these reports were buried by the FCC. Cherry picked, we could say. Is exactly it's just right. like it our policy ends in
0: Iraq. Ends-oriented research. There you go. Rationalizing. Uh, we'll start with an idea and then back-engineer the uh, exactly. the rationale. Let's go to Hancock Park and. Barbie, you're on KPFK and Intervision.
4: Hi there. I'm going to miss you, but I will listen to you on the internet faithfully because well, you've been you. a beacon of light in LA for oh. many, many moons, and we will continue to support you and your lovely wife.
0: That's beautiful. I couldn't have paid for that. That's hey. wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> my my
4: question is, you know, in, in in setting up holistic businesses or nonprofit businesses, and to make sure that the that the isp providers do not like overcharge for usage or anything else in that do you see anything like that and how we can get paid you know without having to go through paypal and and do direct services because i'm setting up a nonprofit, mm-hmm. and i'm in the process of you know doing something that's kind of altruistic and and crazy but i believe in this project but i I don't want to pay all my money out for all these huge fees everywhere because it's going to cut into what I can give out to other people.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I've gone through that. You get uh, people don't realize that you get a percentage taken off for using credit cards. There's right, a, that's am saying. A flat fee for every. Um, for every uh, item paid, and right. so on and so forth, and then
4: so also if you sell stuff at an auction, they charge you for that. Yeah. Everyone charges for everything, but isn't there a way if you're if you're not a certified nonprofit company, you're not doing this for profits? Isn't there isn't there any oversee or any anything, or is there going to be anything in the future? Has anyone talked
2: about that? What do you think, this? Ross? This particular, having not set up something like this myself. I don't have good advice that way, but if I can back things up one more step, and as you're trying to establish your own online ples- presence, uh, the pl- the place where I would tend to take this discussion, which might not be where you necessarily want it to go, but I- it's something for folks to think about. If you're trying to start up a new operation right. online right now, even before getting to that point of uh, dealing with those fees and such, you want to make sure that whatever you're doing is actually viewable, and that folks will be able to readily access that, right? You know, studies that folks have done have shown that if you if you go to one website and it loads slowly, and you go to another one and it loads quickly, you, you know, you don't blame the slowness on the network; you blame it on the website, right? Okay. So when someone like an AT and T slows down your services, you know, okay. be it your website or something that you've developed as part of your business, uh, or or Your organization, Uh, how fast it comes to you and how fast AT&T lets it get to other folks matters a great deal. So my number one concern right now is even beyond that next step concern of getting around those fees is making sure you're viewable. And that means we need to get net neutrality written into law. And I suppose that what I would point people to do uh, in this regard is actually uh, the folks at SaveTheInternet.com uh, are the folks who are really oh, acting and have submitted a complaint. The yep, okay. they uh, They've submitted a complaint to the FCC directly in relation to Comcast's slowing down of particular content. We need as many folks to actually go in there and sign on to that. I, every... I
4: will do that today.
2: Absolutely. That's one of, the, that, that's one of two things that, uh, that can really make a difference. The other is there actually is a bill uh, sitting in committee right now in the Senate called the uh, Internet uh, Freedom Preservation Act, which would write net neutrality into law. That needs to be, people need to be calling their senators saying we need to support this act as well. So those two things are things people can do.
4: So I did have a website before. I had started this process a few like eight months after nine eleven, and I raised two hundred thousand dollars for the same project in nine days in deposits mm-hmm. and. I needed the other 300,000 in 30 days, and I didn't get that. So I dropped the project at that time, and luckily I, I did because if I'd gone forward with it because of Katrina and everything that would ha- was happening, then I everything would have you know been washed away anyway. But I am going to go back and redo it. And so now with more information, the more information I get, the more prepared I am, the more I can anticipate other problems as much as I can and, and nip them in the bud as, as quickly as
0: possible. So yeah, I bet I'm going to let you go. I think a lot of us who've worked with and for nonprofits, uh, I mean, even becoming a nonprofit organization presents all kinds of barriers and challenges and and I think you've brought up some very good points. Thanks. for I I'm sorry I called you Barbie. It's Babette, right?
4: Right. That's okay. A, that's okay. People call me other things, too. All right. Okay. Bye. Best so, of
0: luck with your venture. And uh, So let's go also in Los Angeles, the city proper to Titus. You're on KPFK with Michael Benner and Russ Newman. Hi.
5: Greetings. Um, I'm actually a media economist, so I've been looking at this stuff a fair while and done some research on it. It really goes much deeper than consolidation. It's consolidation' profit motive. There's an industry culture that really likes to control. and you can go back to the 1926 FRC when they threw one third of the stations off mostly nonprofit to see that consolidation really isn't just where it started. It's been around almost in the radio culture from the get-go. And the FCC has been, as we call in economics, a captured regulator. They've been in the back pocket of the NAB almost all along, and it's something I think we all need to look deeply at. Yeah, you missed the first Um,
0: part of the show, obviously, because we did. Russ did mention that, but I'm glad you brought it up again. Do you have a a question or another comment?
5: Well, mostly that comment, and the question would be. what is Russ doing in terms of actually specific research topics? Because he's a graduate student, I want to know, you know, what's his his exact field and what's his uh, what's his thesis, I suppose. And
0: and let me add to that, since you're at Annenberg, Mr. Annenberg was Mr. TV Guide. <laughs> always thought of as a very conservative guy. What's the atmosphere down there at the Annenberg School?
2: Well, the Annenberg School, there's a number of folks who have been brought in. I mean, Manuel Castells is there now, as well as Herman Gray. There's a number of uh, very strong folks uh, coming from the cultural studies field, as well as a number of strong political economists who have joined the faculty in addition to uh, a number of the, uh, some of the more traditional communication studies that folks have done, as well as rhetoric and some of the social science aspects and such. Uh, As far as my own research, nothing puts more fear into the heart of a grad student who is still on his way through a qualifying exam to say, what is your thesis at this point? But the focus of my research, I'm continuing a lot of the work I was doing at Free Press where uh, I'm looking at uh, media policy, the influence of media policy on uh, on democracy, social justice and such, and taking a global uh, look at it. But uh, I'm in the process of exploring the media economics myself, so perhaps we should talk further at some other point, be interested in talking to you. would love
5: to. I mean, to if you throw your email up on, the, up on the show before you go, uh, or just something to like that, I can do that.
0: Yeah. I- just gonna ask him. Titus, we're almost out of time. Yeah, Thank you, man.
5: That's fine. Thank you.
0: Have a wonderful day. And Thanks, how Titus. can folks get uh, a hold of you, Russell?
2: Yeah, easiest way to get a hold of me is just to you can drop me an email at r newman. R-N-E-W-M-A-N at USC.edu.
0: .edu. So R Newman, uh, just like you'd think it was spelled, N-E-W-M-A-N, a new man, r newman at U S C dot E D U. You know, I have uh, a neighbor, this is anecdotal too, but uh, this is a young man who is working on a graduate degree at USC and he also is very progressive and, you know, you always hear about young people today are either all this or all that uh, and they're all apathetic and they just, they they don't care about anything, but you know, it's really not true, is it? I mean, there's a lot of progressive thinking and... Our Southern California universities, and elsewhere, do you
2: think? No, yeah. it's definitely true. I mean, before I arrived here, USC had a. There's a rep back east of a of a sort of a conservative streak, but I'm every day that I teach and every day that I uh, I work with some of the undergrads and others in the graduate department. I'm pleasantly surprised. So, uh, it's. Yeah.
0: Well, man, for an old timer like me that's been in the trenches, you know, um, we uh, senior boomers gratefully and happily. Pass you the torch. Not that I'm ready to lay down just yet, but uh, there's a concern that uh, people, you know, I'm a gadget freak. I get caught up in my gadgets, and um, there's this odd isolationism that happens when we're increasingly relying on media. In many ways, we become less social as a result of the internet, but oddly, in other ways, more social through the internet. And so. Time will tell. It's up to young people like you, and I really appreciate you being here today.
2: And it's about making your voice heard in the places where it can make a difference. So call your Congress people, visit those websites I mentioned. And, uh, write Mention the them again real quick. Yeah, go to savetheinternet.com. That's uh, a good resource for all things net neutrality related. And as well, you need to go to uh, stopbigmedia.com, which uh, will give you links to uh, contact your Congress people about the Media Ownership Act of 2007.
0: Good, and if folks want to write to you, it's r newman at usc.edu. Happy to talk to folks. Thank you, Russell.
2: Russell Newman, my
0: guest from USC, and uh, I want to thank Russ for coming up here today, and also Brooks, my producer, who uh, found Russ in the wilderness and brought him to us, D'Angelo, my wonderful engineer, and, uh, of course, during key, my wife and uh, best friend, for all her help. We'll be back for a final InterVision show next week. Join us at 1 o'clock on Friday. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. We may say last farewell
3: to the
4: lives of illusion.
5: This is radio powered by The People, KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and also live at KPFK.org and you've been listening to
3: Inner vision